Good morning. Today's reading from the Word of God comes from John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. Please follow along in your own Bibles, on the screen behind me, or listen as I read the scriptures. Once again, that's John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join kids' crew through the door on your right. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you. You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Then he added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Allie, and I'm one of the pastors here at Anchor Bay. It is so good to be worshiping with you this morning. It's our custom here at Anchor Bay before we dive into a text to take a moment of silence. This is a moment to quiet our minds, to set aside any distractions from our morning or our week, and to ask God to speak to us. God, we thank you for gathering us this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word together. God, we ask that you would open our hearts to hear what you're saying to us, and that you would speak to us through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we are in the thick of spooky season. 
And with this season comes a whole mix of super awesome and also the not so great. There's the excitement of planning costumes and the joy of seeing other people display their creativity through decorations or the ensembles that they can put together. There's delicious treats and abundance of candy and nostalgic movies. But if you live and work around Salem, there's also no parking. Rerouting your daily commute or having to plan way more time for your daily commute. There's navigating the throngs of tourists and jammed up sidewalks. If you're going through it right now, I see you. One thing that I've about this season that I've only always found intriguing, but also like pretty uncomfortable, is the street preachers that come to Salem. Every year, they come to town with their setups, their sandwich boards, their signs, their megaphones or microphones, and then they just preach at the crowds that are trying to get by. Whenever I encounter a street preacher, my instinct is to react the same way that I might to a pushy salesperson at the mall. Like, keep walking, don't make eye contact, just keep going. Yikes. It's a visceral reaction. It's so uncomfortable. Which then sometimes also makes me feel conflicted. After all, these preachers are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Sure, oftentimes it's pretty clear we have some differences in belief. But they're doing what they feel like they're called to do. To share the gospel. So what is it about them that feels so uncomfortable? I've gotten some more insight as I've thought about some other methods of evangelism that produce that same uncomfortable reaction within me. Like when I was in college, there was this guy with a van, and he just covered it, just plastered with poster boards of scripture. It was completely covered. And he would drive around the perimeter of our campus, blaring messages of repentance and the end times from a loudspeaker on the top, I always thought it was funny because he had to go to the speed of traffic, so if you were on the sidewalk, you only heard like maybe half a sentence of what he was trying to play. Or if you've ever done a long road trip, I'm sure you've seen countless billboards, maybe like this one, that just has a picture of a baby and says, there is evidence for God. Or there's this particularly aggressive one with what I guess is supposed to be a figure of Jesus that says, against me, there's hell to pay. Yikes. And let's not forget the classic, the one that just says, heaven or hell, where are you going? There are seemingly endless variations that follow the same format, a bold claim or a prodding question, and maybe a phone number or a verse reference. That's it. So what is it about street preachers, vans, and billboards that are just uncomfortable? I think first, it's the realization that they just aren't that effective. Don't get me wrong. I know that people would not spend the time or the money on these things if they never saw anyone ever take any step steps of, towards faith in Jesus. There very well may have been a time and a place when evangelism like this was really effective and brought people to Christ. 
But if you notice people's reactions to them in the here and the now, these types of evangelism can be really off-putting and even come across as standoffish, which is counterproductive to their goal. All of these methods rely on telling rather than showing or discussing. They are one-way streams of information that these people are receiving when they didn't even go looking for it. The message is force-fed. The methods don't rely on relationship, dialogue, or experience. And as we'll see in our text today, they don't align with the invitational posture of Jesus. Jesus, our God, who took on humanity so that people could see and experience who he is. This week, we're continuing our series, The Gospel of John, Come and See. Each week this fall, we're taking a look at a passage from the first few chapters of the Gospel of John. And these passages invite us to see and consider who Jesus is. Last week, Pastor Jean kicked us off with a helpful discussion on the background of the Gospel of John and what it means that John tells us that Jesus is the light. And this week, we get to look at the come and see passage. So I invite you to turn with me to the passage that Will read for us in chapter 1, starting in verse 35. The passage kicks off with John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a prophet who, as a teacher during that time, had some followers and some disciples of his own. But John the Baptist was very clear. He was not the Messiah. He was not the leader that the people were looking for. Instead, John the Baptist knew that his job was to prepare the people for the person and point people towards the Messiah. So our scene is we have John the Baptist standing with some of his followers, and John sees Jesus walking by. After months of telling people that, no, he wasn't the Messiah, but yes, the Messiah was coming, John looks up and sees Jesus walking, the actual Messiah. And he says to the two disciples that are with him, look, the Lamb of God. Hey, friends. That's the guy. The Jews at that time were looking for a promised Messiah, but they expected that this Messiah would be a great military leader, a king and a politician that would overthrow the oppressive Roman rule and restore the kingdom of Israel. But notice that John doesn't use the word Messiah or any particularly mighty sounding title when he points him out. He calls Jesus the Lamb of God, which is a title that he also used earlier in verse 29. John is pointing to Jesus, revealing already that he is a greater Messiah than the people of that day were expecting. John, by calling Jesus the Lamb of God, is using temple sacrifice language. During the time of the temple, animals were sacrificed to God as sin offerings to temporarily cleanse the people of their sin. So by calling Jesus the Lamb of God, John the Baptist is pointing to the ultimate, once and for all, 
saving work of Jesus. And he just points to him. Like, hey, remember that guy I was talking about? That's the guy that's going to save us all from the power of sin. And so these two disciples of John, without saying anything, they just start following Jesus. They want to know what this guy is about. So they just start walking behind him. They don't say anything. They just literally follow Jesus. In my head, I imagine them as people who maybe have just run into their favorite author or actor in public. And they're trying to, like, work up the courage to ask for a photo. Like, should we? Should we say something? Can we interrupt him? And as they're walking behind him, Jesus notices them following And while Jesus, being both fully and human and fully God, knew what they were after, he gives them a chance to voice what they're looking for. He asks them, what do you want? And these two disciples answer with another question, which tells Jesus exactly what they're after. They say, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? In that one little question, they're acknowledging that they want to learn from Jesus. They're acknowledging that they know that Jesus is important. And they know that they can learn from him. They don't want to just tail him in the streets. They want to actually follow him, to stay with him, and sit at his feet and listen to him teach. Come and see, invites Jesus. Jesus responds to their interest with an invitation to spend time with him and experience him. Guys, this is crazy. The author of John sets this up to be such a climactic moment. In the prologue, we read that Jesus is the word of God. That Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator of the universe without whom nothing has been made This God who has existed from the very beginning came to earth and took on humanity. And this God just invited these two guys who followed him to spend some time with him, to form a relationship with him. This is the greatest invitation of all time, presented so simply. Come and see. The use of the word see in this passage and elsewhere in the Gospel of John, it doesn't just mean visual sight. Instead, it's a promise that these men will receive spiritual insight as well. They will physically see where Jesus is staying, and they will spend time with him physically, but they will also see God revealed to them. These men will come to a greater understanding of who God is, who Jesus is through spending time with him. And these guys are pumped. One of them, Andrew, is so moved by this brief encounter with Jesus. He's so convinced and excited, he runs to get his brother Peter. And Andrew's like, we found the guy you have to come and see. Do you remember a time when you had an encounter with God that excited you like that? A time when even if you didn't understand what God was doing, you just had to tell someone, hey, check this out. Listen to this. Because we all have different personalities, we all have a tendency to connect and encounter with God in different ways. 
Maybe for you, you experience God most often in nature or in community. Because I'm kind of a nerd, I tend to connect with God in study. And I'll never forget one time I was in like the basic Old Testament survey class. And it was a day to talk about Chronicles. And our professor told us, we're going to talk about the genealogies. Those passages in Chronicles that are just long lists of people's names. Like, this guy was this guy's son. And he had this son, who is this guy's dad. And it goes on for, like, chapters. Nobody was looking forward to this class. But then our professor starts reading these names. And his eyes start welling up. And he gets choked up as he goes explaining what it meant for the people of Israel in Judea to hear these names. And as I was sitting there, it clicked for me. And I was overwhelmed at the realization of God's faithfulness, of God's love and his steadfastness with his people. I was in awe. God felt so near. And I was jazzed. After class, I, like, hustled back to my roommates to tell them all about it. Who knows if I made any sense at all to them. I, they may have thought I was losing it. And after I had exhausted their listening capacity, I'm pretty sure I had to call my dad, too, and tell him about it. Because I just wasn't done talking about these genealogies and how cool God is. I didn't know what to do with the experience. I just had to tell people about it because I was excited. In the same way, Andrew can't contain himself. And he goes off and he grabs his brother Peter because he knows that he has found something big. And that's the start of Jesus gathering his disciples around him. It slowly spreads. Jesus asks Philip to join them. Then Philip, who has had an experience with Jesus, and likewise comes to see that Jesus is the one that they have anxiously been waiting for, Philip extends the same invitation to Nathaniel. Nathaniel, however, he's a bit skeptical. Nazareth? The Messiah comes from Nazareth? Are you sure? What good could come from there? Nazareth was a pretty unremarkable place. A drive-right-through kind of town instead of a destination. And Nathaniel must have thought that certainly... There wasn't enough going on there to shape the life of a great leader they were looking for. But to his intrigue and skepticism, Philip extends the same invitation the others were given by Jesus. Come and see. Come and experience Jesus for yourself. Come and spend time with Jesus. Come and learn from Jesus who he really is. And boy, does Nathaniel have an experience with Jesus. Verse 47 says, When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus sees Nathaniel and lets Nathaniel know that he really sees who he is. That phrase, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, it shows that Jesus sees that Nathaniel is truly trying to seek the God of Israel. There's no pretense or selfish motives. He just wants to seek his God. So Nathaniel's like, hey, we've never met before. How do you know me? 
To which Jesus replies, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. This fig tree detail might seem a little bit puzzling because it doesn't show up in the narrative when Philip actually invites Nathaniel to come and see Jesus. But fig trees back then were a symbol of home. And because people used to sit in the shade under fig trees and do their meditation or their daily prayer in the shade, they also became a symbol of people's spiritual life. Jesus is telling Nathaniel that he sees Nathaniel. Not only where he is at physically, but also where he's at spiritually. Jesus is telling Nathaniel that he knows his heart. Nathaniel is seen and known before he even interacts with Jesus. And that encounter, that, that moment of feeling known, that experience with Jesus, it's enough to get Nathaniel on board. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel, he says. And Jesus is like, kid, you ain't seen nothing yet. He promises the disciples that they will see even more by spending time with Jesus. By spending time with Jesus, they will come to gain even more insight into who God is. They will get to know God. Jesus makes an allusion to the story of Jacob's ladder that they would have been familiar with. Jacob, a patriarch of Israel, had a dream in which he saw the heavens open up and angels going up and down between heaven and earth. But Jesus is telling the disciples that they will see even more. Jacob had a dream about heaven opening up. But Jesus is heaven opened up. He is more than angels passing back and forth. He is God made flesh dwelling on earth with them. That is what Jesus is inviting them to see, to experience and to know through relationship with him. And likewise, we are invited to get to know Jesus. We are invited to experience Jesus and to grow in our understanding of who he is through a relationship with him. And this is true whether we're confident in who Jesus is, whether we're just curious, if we have a lot of questions, or if we're really skeptical, skeptical about who Jesus is. No matter where we are coming from, the invitation is sent the same. Come and see who Jesus is. Come and spend time with Jesus. I recognize that for those of you who may be going through a season of doubt, or if you're deconstructing or reconstructing your faith, for those of you who are wrestling with what you've been taught to believe, this can be really hard. The temptation might be to listen to what others have to say about who Jesus is, rather than seeking him for yourself. Or the temptation might be to simply set Jesus aside altogether. But it's in, do in doing the seeking, responding to that invitation to come and see, that we will find out who Jesus is and what he is all about. Practically, that looks like a variety of things. It's continuing to dive into scripture, 
reading the word of God and these accounts of Jesus that display his character. It's continuing to engage in spiritual practices like prayer, where we are meeting and relating with God. It is continuing to show up and engage in a community like ours that is committed to being led and shaped by Jesus. If you are wrestling with questions and doubts and you are sticking with it, I want you to know that I commend you for doing that work. Your persistence in seeking Jesus amidst your questions is a gift to our community. Keep going. For those of us who are not in a season of doubt, the invitation is the same. To keep seeking Jesus and engaging in relationship with him. Not only as we continue to be in relationship with Jesus, do we continue to learn about who Jesus is, but as we continue to spend time with Jesus, we also grow to be more like him. It's pretty natural that the more time we spend with our loved ones, the more we end up becoming like them. We might unintentionally start picking up some of their traits or their language. Like our staff team, for example, from spending so much quality time with Pastor Ethan, have all started calling mozzarella sticks mozzi babes. And that's just scratching the surface. We have lots of words and phrases from each other. But we've also picked up things like healthy conflict resolution and communication skills from each other we pick up things from the people that we spend time with. Likewise, the more time we spend with Jesus, we continue to be transformed to be more like him. We start to see and love others like he does and act accordingly. We may start to be able to see ourselves the way that Jesus does. We'll continue to grow in understanding and appreciation for what Jesus has done for us in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. And all of this means that over time, we will come to live differently. Our lives will start to reflect Jesus to the world. From that place of having experienced Jesus and having been in a transforming relationship with him, we, like Philip, can invite others to come and see who Jesus is. We can invite others to experience Jesus too. And we don't have to resort to the old off-putting methods of evangelism to do so. Over the summer, as we were exploring our identity as a church to come up with our new name, Anchor Bay, we also revisited our mission statement. We didn't end up changing it, we just gave it a little bit of a polish So here's how it reads now. Anchor Bay Church exists to create a community on the North Shore that lives and loves in such a compelling and Christ-like way that our neighbors are inspired to seriously consider the claims of Christ. We know that when we start to live lives that are truly transformed by our relationship with Jesus, When our actions reflect Christ's love for people, other people notice. This is actually how the early church started to grow and gain members in the first couple of centuries. They didn't broadcast messages about Jesus around town or send out mass invites to their worship services. Often, it was way too dangerous to do so. 
Instead, they lived lives of integrity and love in their day-to-day lives. When the people of the early church did things like give to the poor, or even something as simple as just not taking advantage of someone in a business transaction, people got curious. They noticed something was different, and they wanted to know what was going on. People started asking questions and asked if they could join the church to find out what it was all about. It was true then, and it's still true now. If we allow others to see how Christ has transformed our life, we are inviting them to have an encounter with Jesus. They are seeing Jesus at work in us. That may sound like a huge, formidable task, but it doesn't have to be. So many of you are doing this already. Inviting someone to encounter Jesus at work in you could be as simple as taking a meal to someone that you know is in need. Maybe yesterday you helped out Anchor Bay Health and served our neighbors with love and care by helping them access health insurance and vaccines and doctors. It could be humbling yourself and offering a sincere apology when you've hurt someone. It could be taking the time to stop and talk to someone on the street and honoring their dignity by doing so. When we do these things, one small, Christ-like, loving action at a time, we invite people to encounter Jesus in us. And someday, those who have seen Christ in us might get curious and start asking questions. Maybe they'll get curious about our church. Or maybe they'll even be bold enough to ask you about Jesus. And church, we know that this happens. We as a staff team have heard story after story of those who have checked out or joined our community because someone else in our community loved them like Jesus. So friends, let's continue to respond to Jesus' invitation to a relationship with him. Let's continue to come and see for ourselves who Jesus is. Let's experience and be transformed by Jesus so that we may invite others to come and see and experience Jesus too. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you are a relational God, that you invite us into relationship with you, and that through relationship, you give us a greater understanding, that you transform us to be more like you. God, we pray that you would continue to encourage us in this work of transformation and investing in relationship with you so that we may be able to share how amazing you are with our neighbors around us. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.